This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg, reporting from our quarantine studio in Tallahassee, where the comforting aroma of Lysol hangs heavy in the air. The state health department reports more than 5,200 new cases of coronavirus Monday, which was actually good news in a perverse sort of way. We've been averaging more than 9,000 new cases for each of the past three days, so 5,000 seems kind of tame, all things considered. 28 additional fatalities were reported Monday. That brings the state's total number of COVID-19 fatalities to at least 3,546. The governor has finally issued his line-item vetoes for the new state budget, which takes effect tomorrow, slicing more than a billion dollars from the bottom line. Well, look, this, 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 nobody has ever made more vetoes than I did um, right here. I don't think it's, they, they've ever vetoed a billion dollars. Those vetoes are designed to beef up state reserves that have taken a hit during the economic downturn caused by COVID-19. But Democrats are fuming because they had no say in the process. First and foremost, I think, is, is our uh, disappointment uh, in not being part of a collaborative process that would lead to this reduction of, of a billion dollars, a little over a billion dollars in this budget. Today on Sunrise, a deep dive into the governor's budget cuts, the cuts he did not make, and the reaction from Democrats who were cut out of the process. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and the tale of a Florida man who removed his pants when he was asked to cover his face. And did you catch that guy yelling white power in the video retweeted by the president over the weekend? You will never guess which state he's from. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, June 30th. Remember when Donald Trump and the GOP decided to bail on Charlotte and hold their convention in Jacksonville because the president did not want people wearing masks during his speech? You'll never guess which city just made masks mandatory. After weeks of delay and resistance from Mayor Lenny Curry, city officials announced Monday the masks will be required when people gather indoors. Curry himself did not make the announcement. He delegated that task to underlings, who said the mayor had a prior family commitment. Curry's chief of staff also said it was irresponsible for media to message that the mayor is absent for an announcement like this. So I guess you'll just have to call me irresponsible. He also said the new mask requirement has no bearing on the GOP convention at the end of August. Governor Ron DeSantis has repeatedly said he is not in favor of mandatory mask rules because he doesn't think they're enforceable. So what does he think of the new mandate in Jacksonville? So we've, um, you know, advised from the beginning of May um, about situations where, where that would be appropriate, but we've left it to the locals to, to make decisions about whether they want to use coercive measures or impose any type of, of criminal penalties. You know, we're not going to do that statewide, um, but, you know, we've wanted to have a collaborative effort with the locals from the beginning. Uh, different uh, areas have, have handled this differently based on their facts and circumstances. And even today, um, you know, you see obviously discrepancies throughout the state um, in, terms of, uh, in terms of the course of the pandemic. So we've worked very closely with Jacksonville, just as we've worked with the folks in South Florida and others, and we're gonna continue to do that and, and support efforts that, that they think are appropriate um, in their given jurisdictions. The mandatory mask order went into effect Monday at five throughout Duval County. Seminole County officials issue an executive order requiring all individuals within a business or any other public place to wear a mask or face covering beginning tomorrow. County officials said they decided to act because they were alarmed at the sudden increase of people testing positive for COVID-19. Officials in South Florida are trying to head off huge crowds during the 4th of July weekend by shutting down the beaches. Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties have already announced their closings. They were joined by the Florida Keys on Monday, where officials announced they would close all the beaches starting Thursday night and cancel the traditional 4th of July fireworks display. 
Later today, Democrats in the Florida Senate will be teeing off on the governor for his response to the COVID crisis. State Senator Gary Farmer of Broward County says there's no sense worrying about a second wave of the virus when you're still being dragged under by the first. With the trends that we've seen thus far, and now with these tremendous spikes that we've seen, and, and uh, you know we're now, I think, 14 days in a row where we beat the previous day's high watermark on, on, on tests, or, or we went 14 days with, with steady escalation. Um, this virus is, uh, and, and this is not stage two, um, or, or this is not a second wave. This is the first wave that is now on steroids uh, because of deficient policy by this state in, in, in doing things like testing more and, and, and having more proactive policies with regard to health safety. State Senator Victor Torres of Kissimmee is more worried about the governor's silence on the statewide moratorium on evictions that was issued at the start of the crisis. Torres says evictions could begin as early as Wednesday, and he's asking the governor to extend that moratorium. We have an issue going on here in the state of Florida, and especially in my two counties, is the moratorium on the eviction and uh, the mortgages on the families that are in uh, limbo, waiting for the governor to make a statement. Uh, For me, it has been a a process where uh, families are in need to pay their rent or their their home mortgages. And I think that uh, the governor hasn't addressed that. And I know the veto, there's money um, that could be used to help these families, but uh, he he didn't say anything concerning the the, uh, process and how these families are going to get help because the bottom line, Wednesday is two days away, and uh, you tell me, uh, uh, the CARES Act money and the money that was sent from the feds uh, to help families to stay in their homes or pay their rents uh, wasn't enough to keep the families in, in in their homes and they're still struggling trying to pay their rents. And if you owe three or four months and you're still unemployed and not getting that check, this all affects you. And and this is one of the issues that uh, I think should have been addressed in his statement today on the budget and how he was gonna effectively work to help these families. So my concerns are right now, Governor, and and the rest of you guys are listening, that this is coming to a head-on collision and we have families out there who are in desperate need to get money to pay for their rents and their mortgages because they're not getting unemployment or there's no jobs available for them. The Democrats are also calling on the governor to convene a special session to fix the budget and to impose a statewide mask order, both of which are long shots at best. The governor uses his veto pen to eliminate more than a billion dollars worth of spending in the new state budget. Those cuts are designed to cushion the blow to the state treasury, which is running in the red thanks to the economic slowdown created by coronavirus. Everyone understands the circumstances have changed. When we did our budget uh, back in the fall, uh, we were operating under a certain uh, set of assumptions. And we always knew that we could see uh, an economic downturn, but I don't think we necessarily forecast the economy simply stopping for a time. Uh, So we were operating under a certain set of assumptions. The legislature was as well. Um, As the reality changes, uh, I think we all have to recognize that none of us are going to get everything uh, that we want. My goal was to uh, try to safeguard the historic achievements that we were able to do while also realizing historic savings so that we could put Florida on a more solid fiscal uh, foundation. 
And so that's what we did uh, over the last many weeks going through a lot of different provisions of the budget. So the legislature approved a budget totaling $93.2 billion. Uh, with today's actions, my, veto, my vetoes will total over $1 billion. Uh, despite the unprecedented circumstances necessitating the level of reductions, uh, this $92.2 billion approved budget provides significant support for education, uh, the environment, infrastructure, child welfare, and more. And I would note that given po Florida's population growth, it is a decline in per capita spending uh, over last year's budgets. So while these actions uh, uh, total over $1 billion, uh, roughly half of that is general revenue, uh, half is trust fund balances. They will be set aside uh, for whatever uh, needs may arise in the coming year. But some parts of the budget were protected from vetoes, including teacher pay raises. We wanted to take Florida from the bottom half of the country in average minimum salary uh, to the top five. Uh, it was not an easy fight. There was a lot of folks that didn't want to do that. Uh, and I'm just pleased to say that we uh, were able to get $500 million to uh, increase the average minimum salary in the state of Florida for K through 12 teachers, uh, as well as including money uh, for salary increases uh, for teachers uh, who are more seasoned and other eligible personnel. So we are now uh, in the top five for average minimum salary, uh, and I think that this is really a historic achievement. I want to thank the members of the legislature uh, who supported this really key initiative. Uh, we also have other key initiatives regarding K through 12, workforce, higher education, uh, all trying to prepare our students for the future. Uh, we do have the highest funding ever for K through 12 schools uh, with an increase of $137 per student. Uh, $100, $100 million for mental health programs in our schools, which is a $25 million increase over last year's funding, an additional $22.8 million for a total of $1.3 billion in state operating funds for Florida's colleges, and an additional $44.4 million for a total of $2.7 billion for Florida's universities. And we did not increase tuition, uh, which I think is very, very important. Environmental projects were also shielded, well, sort of. DeSantis vetoed $50 million worth of local water projects, but he says they'll continue funding improvements that began during his first year as governor, including money to clean up the springs and the Everglades. Uh, this budget continues the commitment that we made by allocating more than $625 million to restore the Everglades and protect our water resources. And this is two years in the row that the legislature has stepped up and really put uh, their money uh, into this key in, these key initiatives and I think ways that the Floridians really appreciate. Uh, so we're looking at over $322 million for Everglades restoration, $50 million for Springs restoration, $160 million for targeted water quality improvements, $40 million for alternative water supply, and $25 million to combat harmful algal blooms and red tide. DeSantis also decided not to veto any of the $370 million set aside for affordable housing. A 3% pay raise for all state employees survived the cut. Corrections officers will get even more, depending on their years of experience. But those are the exceptions. Everything else was on the table, and the list of vetoes issued by the governor runs on for 18 pages. That budget was approved by the legislature back in March, so the governor had more than three months to figure out his vetoes. But Senator Gary Farmer of Broward County says he never talked with the Democrats, and his unilateral actions may be a violation of state law. First and foremost, I think, is, is our uh, disappointment uh, in not being part of a collaborative process that would lead to 
this reduction of, of a billion dollars, a little over a billion dollars in this budget. Uh, we uh, were part of uh, the process when we were in session and our budget process is, is not ideal as it is, but uh, together we were able to put together probably one of the most people-friendly budgets we've had in a long time as a state. And then for the last 90 days, we've watched as COVID has ravaged uh, our state, uh, both, both uh, from a health sense and an economic sense. And we've all known that uh, significant, significant uh, uh, revenue reductions were going to occur in this state. Uh, so far, we know that we're going to be at least a few billion dollars short. And uh, economists are still trying to predict and look at it, but uh, we've seen estimates ranging from six to $10 billion in shortages. And for the last 90 days, we have called several times for special session uh, to be called by the governor so that we could be part of a collaborative process to decide how uh, these shortfalls were gonna be met. And our review thus far on this budget is that uh, of this billion dollars that has been cut, uh, the vast majority is coming on the backs of local projects and programs that our cities and our counties and our, our communities count on. Uh, uh, fundings that, that, that help ordinary people uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, funds that cities have been in need of and counties have been in need of. Uh, programs like uh, adult meals and daycare and 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 yet we see that other funds uh, remain in the budget that, that seem designed to go to the more well heel. Um, our Constitution speaks specifically to the budget and our Constitution provides that it is the legislative branch that is supposed to be the appropriators of money. And so this entire process may in fact be an unconstitutional process that this governor has uh, initiated with regard to the reduction in these funds. Uh, moreover, uh, he has indicated that he intends to rely on CARES Act money uh, to fill some of the gaps in this budget. Uh, there is certainly uh, a legal debate as to whether or not the governor has the authority to take CARES Act money and just put it into general revenue and then spend it as he sees fit. In fact, many legal scholars who've looked at this issue have said that the CARES Act money that was appropriated by Congress for certain programs or functions or needs uh, must be spent in the manner that Congress appropriated it. And so uh, again, uh, we have grave concerns about the process and about uh, the legislative branch, uh, a co-equal branch of government uh, being shut out of the decision uh, and the discussion as to where we are going to uh, fill these budgetary gaps that we know are coming. Senator Lori Berman of Palm Beach County says they're still going through the long list of vetoes, and she's concerned about cuts in the health care budget during a pandemic. What we are seeing is a lot of cuts to local programs, and those are the programs that are filling the gaps right now. Our unemployment system without question is abominable. There is no, people are, I have people write to me who still have not been paid since March. People are crying on the phone to us. People are angry, rightfully so. And those are the, those social services programs that are being cut are gonna hurt the people who still haven't even been able to get their unemployment benefits under the state. 
And then the other area that we really need to dig down into is, and we can't in the budget yet, we haven't been able to get enough of a handle on is healthcare. And it looks certainly like some of the healthcare program, uh, the, the smaller programs have been cut, but we know that this state has consistently refused to expand Medicaid. And because of it, there's hundreds of thousands of people who don't have coverage. And there's billions of dollars in federal money that we could access if we expanded Medicaid. So I'm very concerned about how the budget affects our health care and the fact that we still, as a state, are one of the minority states that refuse to expand Medicaid and make sure that people have health care, which is even more important in the time of COVID right now. Representative Bobby DeVos of Fort Lauderdale says hundreds of local projects were cut that directly help people and communities after major corporations got a big Christmas present with a massive tax rebate worth over half a billion dollars. He says the people of Florida deserve better. DuBois also says the governor should not get praise for making tough decisions when part of the reason we're in this mess today is the corporate welfare handouts and the administration's mishandled coronavirus response. Your calendar of events begins with the nominating commission of the Second District Court of Appeal. They're meeting at 8 to continue online interviews of candidates to fill two judicial seats. The Investment Advisory Council, which reviews and makes recommendations about state investments, meets online at 1. The Broward College Board of Trustees meets online at 1. The Florida Cybersecurity Task Force meets by conference call at 2. The Board of Trustees of the College of the Florida Keys will hold an online meeting at 2. The Florida Board of Chiropractic Medicine meets by conference call at 2. The Southwest Florida Water Management District holds a webinar at 4.30. The Public Service Commission Nominating Council will accept applications until 5 o'clock today for an opening on the PSC. The Board of Trustees of the State College of Florida, Manatee, Sarasota, will hold an online meeting at 5.30. Also at 5.30, the Board of Optometry will meet by conference call. And finally today, it's time to catch up with Florida Man. One took off his pants to protest a face mask. The other shouted white power in a presidential tweet. A 37-year-old Florida man is busted after deputies say he exposed himself at a gift shop in the Florida Keys after being told to put on a mask. The arrest report says 37-year-old Paul Ellie Daniel Duval refused to don a mask at the Theater of the Sea gift shop in Isla Morada and began using vulgar language to describe the women in the store, his genitals, and pornography in general. Witnesses say Duval then pulled down his shorts and exposed himself to everyone inside the shop, including an underage girl, while continuing to use vulgar language toward them. He's charged with indecent exposure, disorderly conduct, and driving with a suspended license. Duval told deputies he exposed himself after employees refused to let him use the bathroom. He also admitted there were several children present at the time. And the Florida man who was caught on camera yelling white power during a golf cart parade for Donald Trump has been outed as a retired firefighter from Miami-Dade. This is part of the video retweeted by the president over the weekend. White power! The presidential tweet has been deleted, but the damage has been done. The guy saying white power is 71-year-old Roger Stoke, who lives in the Villages, a sprawling retirement community north of Orlando. His former employers at Miami-Dade Fire Rescue issued a statement saying, This retired employee acted as a private citizen, and his views and actions are not representative of who we are and what we stand for. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.